you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been doing this series called Five Dysfunctions of a Family, because we all got a little bit of a dysfunction in our family. And if you have forgotten about it, you're about to find out in about three or four weeks, right? You're going to find out, oh yeah, I forgot about Uncle Ed or you know whatever it was. I forgot about him. Uh, there, there he comes. Um, but we've been looking at, really the idea here is, is what's the, the, the vision that God has for our family? Like, what are the attributes, what are the qualities that God wants to be a part of his family? The body of Christ, the families that maybe you're building uh, right now, maybe even it's your work family. I don't know what family looks like for you um, right now, but God wants our, our families to be unified, like have a unified vision, all moving in the same direction to honor him. He wants our families to be loving in the way we communicate to one another. We talked about that last week. And today, I want to talk about the dysfunction of conflict, right? Because I think in our nation, we need to really talk about this because we don't know how to handle conflict anymore. So really, the the positive spin on that that we're trying to do, that God wants our families to be healthy. He wants health in our families. Uh, Do I have any MMA fans? Anybody like a fan of MMA? Okay, there's a few in the house, likes to watch mixed martial arts. So I remember when it first kind of came on the scene, and I started watching it a little bit because I had a kind of a history with boxing. I kind of liked watching boxing, but MMA is different than boxing. Like it's way more intense. Uh, and I, I would watch it from time to time, but I got turned off after a while because of these moments where like the guy gets kicked in the face or female, there's like female um, women's mixed martial arts, but they, they get kicked in the face and then the eyes go into the back of the head and then they just lifelessly fall to the ground. You guys know, have you seen one of those videos before? Like when that happens? And I just thought, that person just died. Like I just, it was too emotional for me, like watching someone that looked like they died right in front of me. And my heart was just racing. I hurt for their family and like all this stuff. And, um, and then their face is just so disfigured. Like you, they don't even look like the same person after 15 minutes in the octagon. And, but one thing I did really love about mixed martial arts is the different styles that, that were at play. Like one fighter could be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like, so they do these submission holds and an arm bar and try to get you on the ground. And some have more of a boxing background. They're trying to knock you out with one good punch or maybe a Muay Thai background. I'm sure you're familiar with Muay Thai, right? Uh, and it's, uh, it was a joke. I know you probably know nothing about Muay Thai. I just know that it's more kicking, you know, so that's where that got introduced. And, and I always like that portion because it kind of brings different styles and who's going to win, which style is going to win the round. Um, and as we talk about these five dysfunctions of family, it got me thinking how each one of us, we've got our own style too when it comes to conflict. When it comes to conflict resolution, when it comes to getting in the octagon of life, uh, our work relationships or our marriages or our, our siblings, uh, we get in the octagon and we have our own style. Uh, some of you are the passive aggressive punchers. Do I have any passive aggressive punchers? Like you give a cold shoulder with the best of them, like a cut to the soul. Uh, maybe you're a submission, like you're just going to wear them down. You just hold it there. You're not, maybe like you're a technical fighter and then you're like, well, to actually, technically, and you're like, okay, on a technicality, you win. That's your fighting style. Like whatever your fighting style is, whether you are one that wants to duke it out and punch it out right now, or if you're one uh, that wants to stuff it down and act like it's not going on. We've all got a style. Um, no matter if it's fight or flight, we've, we've got a fighting style 
Um, and I want us to kind of think ab- about that and, and really I want to speak in, into this today because I feel like our nation, not just us in this room, our nation needs this. We really do. We don't know how to deal with conflict anymore. Like we just think we've got to yell louder and it just makes it worse, right? We yell louder and, and hope that it's going to make something better. If we can yell louder than the next person, whether it's on social media or on the news outlets or it's in our own family, we, we just don't know how to deal. And so what ends up happening is we've got a lot of unhealthy families because we're just shoving things under the rug, and we don't really know how to, to, to get healthy and, and, and be the family that God calls us to be. Um, and so I, w- I want to speak into that. I think God's Word is so rich in how to deal with conflict and His design for how we're supposed to do it. Like God's Word is so rich in wisdom to, to help us walk through the, this conflict of life. And it's going to happen. Conflict is a part of life. Um, so it's going to happen. So I want to lean in this morning and, and just talk to us. Just real simple message this morning on just five truths to remember. Five truths to remember when you're navigating that relational conflict. It's not if it's going to happen, it's when it happens. So, so five truths for us, how to navigate relational conflict. The first is, is that true healing uh, of everything begins and ends with God. It begins and ends with God. I think in, in this journey to, to maybe, you know, a duke it out or to, to solve a problem, a relational conflict, we'll go to a lot of places. We'll go to the self-help book. We'll go to a lot of people to ask. But I think we, we've got to have this, the right perspective on this to know that true healing is only, it begins and it ends with God. Uh, Ephesians 6 uh, verses 12 and 13 says this, for our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when that day of evil comes, when that day of conflict arises, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand, stand still. Yeah, the, the reality is that Jesus has always been and will always be the, our solution, our solution. It's not going to be in our own works. Um, and so what I, where I think this leads us in any conflict that we're dealing with is it leads us to prayer, to know that God can, will meet us there in whatever conflict we're dealing with. But most of the time, it's always about them. But what if every situation we're doing, it's not all about them. Maybe there's like a whole spiritual warfare that that scripture tells us. There's a battle going on that we don't even see. That there's an internal battle going on within us of how to deal with that. There's an internal battle of them wrestling with their pain and, and, and how their personality and, and struggling to express their feelings. Like, that there's all kinds of things going on, but what if, it's, what if it's spiritual and we just haven't realized that? I think the other aspect of, of this true healing coming from God is knowing that a lot of our dysfunction and some of our dysfunction and some of our brokenness some of the broken relationships are not going to be healed on this side of eternity. Like, I think that's a hard truth that we've got to wrestle with. Like, some things are just not going to get put back and we get to see it and be like, yay. Like, some things will only be restored at the end of time when Christ returns and he makes all things new again. Like, some of that brokenness is just going to be here. And, and us knowing that, that the healing is in his hands really takes this giant load off our shoulders that says we've got to fix everything. 
right? Because I think there's this inner God inside of us, this lowercase g that feels like we need to fix everything and we've got to manipulate and control and make everything happen in every relationship. Um, but, but resting in this fact that, that some of that dysfunction, some of that brokenness, it, it might not even be healed on this side of eternity. Like it's only God that's going to be able to, to, to make those things right. So rest in that. A second thing, uh, to just to remember as you're navigating some relational conflict, is that many people are only going to be in your life for a season. Like they're not going to be there forever. Um, like think about maybe your childhood best friend. Did, did you guys have a childhood best friend? Like I had a few of them. Um, I feel like as time goes on, you get less, like you have less friends. Am I like the only one that's like I have less friends, like the more time goes on? Um, uh, but we do like have close friends and close-knit friends. And uh, I remember that maybe middle school or, or junior high or high school, you can think about some of uh, those uh, friends. I, I guess they say like that your friends from like your college or young adult years are the friends that are most likely to stick with you for the long haul. But I think by and large, our, our friends from growing up, the one thing they have in common is that we don't talk to any of them anymore. Like that's the, that's the thing we have in common about all those, because th- we just don't, we think they're going to be in our life forever. Like some of you girls, you had the BFF like heart with a little break in the middle and they had one half or somebody you want to confess you had that okay yeah you you had you thought you're going to be best friends forever and then it turns out like you haven't talked to them in 15 20 30 years like they just weren't we we kind of have this perception we think that every person that enters our life will be in our life forever and and that's a little bit heartbreaking i feel like i understand this really deeply as a pastor and as your pastor, uh, I, I love you like my family, and and um, and, and I, when we say fathom fam, like we don't have other family in the in the town, like you are, you are in. So we love you like that. And so when someone moves away or, or decides to to uh, begin to be a part of a, an, another church community, that's hard for us. It's like losing one of our family members, and it's like you know, we're having to deal with all that emotional stuff. There's this passage in the scriptures that gives us a lot of wisdom on how to deal with the entrances and exits of people in our life. And it's it's in the book of Acts. And, and particularly, we'll go to Acts 15 in just a second. We won't read it yet. But just to catch you up, it's Paul, the Apostle Paul. You, you may be familiar with the Apostle Paul. And, and, and the Paul had actually been a persecutor of Christians for a very long time. And he had this incredible um, revelation of the Lord in which he became a a believer in Jesus and and became a passionate follower and preacher of the gospel. But he kind of had this history in this past and everybody, all these Christians knew him as a persecutor of Christians, one who was responsible for the murder of Christians. So we get to Acts chapter 9 and there's this guy named Barnabas who is an encourager who's come alongside Paul and is trying to help him engage with new friendships. And so people don't want to have dinner with Paul. Like Christians don't want to hang out with him because they're literally afraid for their life. And Barnabas in Acts 9 is like, hey guys, it's cool. He's with me. (laughs) Like he's good. He's chill. Like it's okay. We can come have dinner together. (laughs) And and they're just struggling with this. And Barnabas becomes a close friend friends of Paul. They, they end up going out on the, a missionary trip together, and Barnabas wants to bring his cousin, his name is John Mark, and, and, and John Mark comes uh, along for the ride on this mission trip, but halfway in the journey, John Mark decides to peace out, and like, he's like, guys, love you, but like, I'm heading 
out, and the scriptures don't really tell us what went down, whether it was some kind of conflict, whether John Mark was just like, I'm just not cut out for this, like, love you guys, y'all have fun, but this isn't for me. We, we don't really get a lens into what it is. He just didn't make it for the whole journey. And then we pick up on Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41, and they're getting ready to go out on a second missionary trip. And Paul doesn't want to take John Mark this time. And Barnabas is like, hey, let's take John Mark again. So let's, let's kind of look at what the scripture says and, and talk a little more. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had, con- uh, had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and uh, Cilicia, uh, strengthening uh, the churches. So what are we to do with this text? Like who was in the right and who was in the wrong? I think they were both being God-fearing in their own right. I mean, particularly if we begin to view this through the lens of Jesus, because Jesus says, any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So Paul's like, you're not fit for this work. You're not fit for this work. If you're going to peace out last time, you're not coming with it this time. He's trying to, he's kind of moving in wisdom in his own mind. And here, also the scriptures tell us that the good shepherd will leave the 99 to go chase down the one. And that when we forgive, we should forgive 70 times 7. Like we should just keep forgiving. So the God of the second chance. And so like, who, they're, they're kind of playing both sides of it here. And it's hard to figure out maybe who's, who's right here. Uh, let, let, me, let me just share this that I've learned on this journey of, of having people come in my life for a season and exiting. That we've got to learn to keep our heart open and guarded. Open and guarded. Open in that uh, my previous people pain doesn't prevent you from future friendships that fuel your growth. My, my previous people pain doesn't prevent me from making future relationships and friendships that actually are going to fuel my growth. And, and I don't know about you, but I've got some previous people pain. I don't know how you make it too far in life without having some previous people pain. I don't know if that people pain was a previous relationship, a romantic relationship. I don't know if that was a relationship within a church um, or with a spiritual leader, or, or, or with a family member that um, you, you've got pain from. And what we do, instead of staying open to future friendships and relationships, we actually get more guarded, and we kind of put our guard up, uh, and, and we block people out, and we don't stay open to that. And we miss out on these godly friendships that He wants to bring into our life that we need for our growth. And, and when I say guarded, I, I don't mean guarding keeping people out. I mean Garden in that our identity is hidden in, in Christ, and it's not wrapped up in the acceptance of other people. It's hidden in Christ where I, I don't have to even defend m- myself with that person. If they don't accept me, if they don't uh, approve of me, like I'm accepted, I'm, I'm approved by, by God. And, and so I, I, Christ, when I'm, my identity is hidden in Christ, He is my defender. He is my redeemer. He is my victor. He is my closest friend. 
And I can rest in that. And so not only do, can I stay open to the, few, the friendships that God wants, because what did you see what happened here? He brought Silas along. He didn't just say, no, no, I'm just going to do this thing on my own now. He still brought someone else alongside of him. They said, I still can't do it alone. One of the things we say here is no disciple walks alone. I'm not just going to go start doing this thing on my own now. I, I need to bring people into my life that are going to help me fuel uh, my passion for the Lord and really help me grow. Uh, but that, that's a hard thing to do. So, so what do we make of this? Who is right or wrong in this situation? I think we can learn something from both of us. I, I think there's uh, you know, opportunities for us in our life where um, we need to not be afraid to move on. Like, don't be afraid to move on. I think that's what we can, can, can take away from Paul's decision and his wisdom here to, to move on. Don't be afraid to move on. I think the other thing maybe we could learn um, from Barnabas here is don't be afraid to give somebody a second chance. Like, they went out and did some ministry together. Like, he gave them a second chance. He was his cousin. That's the hardest one. Like, you can't quit your family, right? It's kind of hard to, kind of hard to do that. And so he gave them a second chance. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you just need to move on from. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that you need to go back and give somebody a second chance, that you want to burn that bridge and say, you're dead to me, <laughs> and you just need to go back and, and, and see what God might do that on, on this next missionary trip together. Uh, number three, dysfunctional people are everywhere, and God has them in your life for a reason. They're everywhere. Don't try to run from them. You're going to find them around the, the next corner. I feel like nobody gets this like a pastor's kid that moved around a lot, like Taryn. Um, she was growing up. They, they were in, I don't even know how many churches. Um, her, her dad, you know, just got hired in different places and jobs would fall through and then move across the country. And, and I remember hearing them talk about this early on in our relationship. And uh, she would say every church they went to, like, you know, say it was, um, you know, uh, Sister Jill or something, who was always the person who was making a big fuss about whatever, you just fill in the blank. She was always, and so whatever the next church they went to, that same person would be there, and they just looked different, they had a different name, and then the next church, there was Sister Sweet Jill making a fuss about, there was always that type of person, and like, you get this too in your job. Like, some of you have probably moved a job because of a dysfunctional person, what we called a dysfunctional environment, but it was really just some dysfunctional people that make the environment dysfunctional, right? You, you, you wanted to move cubicles or move to another office to get rid of Debbie Downer or Cocky Carl, right? Just I, I, Maybe if I get over here, I can distance myself from their dysfunction, hoping to avoid that. But what did we find when we moved to the next job or to the next office? There was a Debbie Downer there, and there was a cocky Carl there. They just had a different name and a different look, but it was the same dysfunction. And we spend our life running from these people. But what if like, God actually has them in our life for a reason? And I think there's a, a number of layers that, that we've got to, to grow and understand on this. One is, I think, understanding dysfunctional people is understanding a combination of four things. Understanding their personality because some things are just personality-like things. Um, and it's not a matter of uh, their personality is bad or wrong. It, it's probably just a personality you're not used to. Like, you, you don't understand how to deal with someone uh, who is more sensitive, or you don't understand, you haven't been around a lot of people who are so direct. Like, you, maybe it's something on that, that front where it, it's just not used to it. Because the thing is, is we're all weird, 
and we all, all of our personalities are weird. Like you're just used to your weird. You're not used to my weird, right? So part of life is coming to understand different weirds, right? And letting, letting that be the normal because there is a strength and a weakness within every single personality. We, we, and, and when we begin to get our perspective on the positive of those people, that there's actually positives in their personality, not just the weaknesses that our eyes are drawn to. So there's four things to really help understand these dysfunctional people. Run it, understand their personality. Understand their pain. If I can look past the action and just cease with a spiritual lens, like what's the pain that's going on that's maybe causing some of this dysfunctional behavior, I can actually empathize with them because I've got similar pains. Maybe they're rejected and they're trying to, they're cocky and that's just because they're lonely and that, that's just kind of defensive. I can see past the, 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 the exterior actions, their pain, their passion. Sometimes we get weirded out because people are just really passionate about things we're not passionate about. Uh, maybe like some, like probably a lot of you um, maybe have been around somebody who is like super organized and they're like OCD and like they care about crap that you just don't care about. Like they're just, uh, it's their passion. They love that OCD organization. Like that person's probably me. Um, and I would drive, you know, you nuts. Like I drive my wife nuts on some of this stuff, but, uh, but she's gotten used to my weird over time, right? So understanding their passion. And, and I'd say that the fourth P there is their puberty. And that sounds weird, but understanding where they're at in the maturity process. Uh, not just emotional maturity, but spiritual maturity. I, I think understanding where someone's at in their growth journey really does help us take a step back. and like, oh, it's not necessarily their personality. It's not even their pain or their passion. It's just like, they're just young in the Lord. They're just, they're just growing in this. And it allows us to empathize and really see past uh, the dysfunction to the individual with a, a unique story that God's writing. And we can, we can adapt to more personalities than what we realize uh, we can. Um, I think we had to learn this with with Camden um, when he was from ages like one and a half to four, our, our middle child. He was extremely just um, strong-willed during that time. He's still very strong-willed, but uh, we've learned to lead him differently, and he's chilled out a little bit, so like both have helped. Um, but he was just so strong-willed, and we were like, how are we going to survive? Because it was like two and a half years of just a a, a real uh, uphill battle with him. And we really begin to do some studying and learning on this that I really needed to lean in and, and understand the strengths that were being fostered in his life. Not just see the, 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 the negatives and the weaknesses of his personality type, but see the strengths and know that as his parent, I'm actually helping facilitate his strengths and guide those, that strong-willed nature just in the right direction. Like, I'm not telling him, don't be strong-willed. I'm just going to like, because it's going to change the world. He's going to rock the world with it. But like, I just got to steer it in the right direction. And, and I would say in, God places us in people's lives and them in ours so that we can be a light in the darkness, so that we can bring healing uh, to some, some of these uh, issues maybe they're dealing with. Um, I had to learn this the hard way uh, through, uh, through a bunch of relationships, but there was one in particular, this guy, I won't say his name, but probably eight, eight or nine years ago, and um, he was under us uh, in, in the Lord, like in, in our church, and um, uh, was on our ministry team. And he would just constantly trying to undermine our leadership, like right in front of our face, behind our back, uh, always like subtle, like passive aggressive. He was a passive aggressive puncher. Like he would never have a straight conversation. It was always just like, you know, little, little, you know what I'm talking about, like those little subtle comments that people can make. 
And, uh, and I, was, I was really just taking this, and like, I didn't know how to deal with it, and I was kind of throwing my guard up. I was like, I'm not going to let anybody in, trying to put a brave face on, but it was hurting. And God began to teach something um, about that relationship and about dysfunctional people in general is that each person is an asset to my character. Like dysfunctional people, maybe the person at your work that's driving you crazy, maybe the person uh, in your family or on your serve team at church that you just, that, that person is an asset to your character. Think about it like this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient. Love is patient. And so the person that's in front of me that's requiring me to be more patient, right? If it wasn't for this dysfunctional person who's always late or whatever, they're requiring me to apply more patience, which is to operate in love. And First John 4 says that God is love. So actually, this person's actually helping me get to be more like Christ and to be more loving and to be more a reflection of his character in his love. Now, do we want that? No. I mean, you know the old saying, like, don't pray for patience because God will give you an opportunity to be patient. Uh, but when we be, it begins to change our perspective on the people in front of us, that God, it, it, it's less about them and it's actually an opportunity for me. It's not a detriment to me. It's actually an opportunity for me to become more like Christ and an opportunity for me to show them Christ. Because they're, not, they're not just an asset to my character. I can be an asset to their character. I can, set, I can break this crazy cycle where we're constantly responsive to their dysfunction, right? The person on, on, at the cash register who's just a jerk to you or uh, over the phone that, that just nasty with you with customer service. And what do we do? Come on, you ever been caught in that cycle where like they were rude to you? So like, oh no, no, you're going to be rude to me. Then I'm going to be rude to you. And we just let that go, right? But God wants us to be light in darkness. He wants us to, to, to uh, be able to, to speak life into those situations and to, to be an example of his love and his patience and his kindness. And so we could talk for a, a lot more about that. But let's jump to number four. Ah, the biblical method of correction and conflict resolution actually works. Like we make this really complicated sometimes, um, and, and I feel like in our generation um, now, and, and I'm not speaking of an age. I'm just saying everybody who's living now, because I see it in in people um, up in the years, and I see it in teenagers r- right now that that we've lost how to really deal with things um, the right way. But but Jesus gave us a very clear kind of process that he wants us to go through to, to really bring uh, healing and um, resolution in, in, in different conflicts. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says this, if your brother or sister sins or sins against you, as many texts put it, go and tell him his faults between you, uh, but just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they Uh, will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So if your brother or sister sins or sins against you, like what are we talking about there? We're talking about they stole something from you or maybe they've offended you. I think that's one where it comes up the most, like someone offends us. Um, 
maybe a, a situation in which we actually see sin in their life. Like we, we see uh, they, they've wandered from the truth of God's word and his plan for their life. And, and God puts the responsibility not on a pastor to go chasing down everybody, but maybe the person that's in their life that actually has a relationship with them, that, 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 you, that we are to, to go to, to one another and, and to bring that up in love. Not in, out of, uh, in, in a rude way, but in, in love. And, and there's a wisdom to this, and there's a, a, a maturity to be able to do this and to do this well. But how do we usually respond when someone offends us? When someone, you know, we, we, we find someone kind of that's wandered astray or, or that's kind of missing the mark or has hurt us, or, right? We, we get bitter about it. You know, we just harbor these ill feelings to them. We, we, we harbor resentment and unforgiveness. We might gossip about it, like we'll just go and tell other people, like, you see what they did? You know, we'll, we'll go to all these ways and we don't follow this simple and biblical plan that when you look at it, like, yeah, that kind of cuts out a lot of the stuff. That really cleans things up and really puts it in a really healthy way. And it's a very simple process. One, go one-on-one to them. Address it one-on-one. Like, how many of you would just be honest with me for a second and be like, I would be scared to death to do that? <laughs> like, right, there's probably been a situation at work or at church or in your family that you've had difficulty, like, trying to address the issue. Like, I don't want to deal with it. I'd rather just, like, shove it under the rug. And it didn't hurt my feelings. I'm over it. And just shove it under the rug. And that becomes our, our method of operation. And really... We end up getting unhealthy. We, that we harbor this resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness. And, and, and there ends up being division and dissension in the body. And, and, then, and then we come to break bread with one another and we're harboring something. And we don't feel like we're in unity because we're not. Because we've harbored this stuff and shoved it up under the rug. Uh, next, it tells us to go and address it with some other people. Bring one or two other people with you. I, I would also tell us if you're ever having, if you've ever been offended by someone of the, the opposite sex, to always bring another person. Go ahead and skip to number two. Like, go ahead and bring in that person's spouse or bring in your spouse, and so that it's not just, you know, a male, a female just trying to address these things. Uh, bring in, in, in a trusted a friend to come alongside you in that, and just to deal with it in love. Like, um, I, I think the reality of of this is in our, our life. Um, we're going to be on, on both sides uh, of this, uh, and we'll talk about that more here in just a second. Um, and I think we get down to number three, and they're like, who wants that to happen? Who wants to like bring in before the church? And I'm like, yeah, you see what they did? You know what I'm talking about? They offended me, and it makes this big gossipy like whatever thing. Like I don't know who would want But I think it's, it's important to understand, and that you know, in the first century, they had house churches. We're talking about 10 to 15 people in a church. We're not talking about multiple services and different things and different, you know, a larger environments that we're used to in our Sunday formats uh, here in the 21st century. And so uh, I think uh, step three is to bring it before a church leader. But kind of what, the way I, I would put that right now in the 21st century is to bring that before a church leader and then come alongside, then go, go alongside them to to uh, address an issue if, if you see that. But if anybody ever comes to me and, and says, hey, did you see that? Or like, hey, they offended me or whatever. That's, this is what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Anytime. But hey, did you talk to them about it yet? All right, cool. Like, let me know when, when that's done. You know, <laughs> like then we can, then we can move forward because I'm not going to do anything because that works. 
that's going to get you healthy. That's going to push us past this discomfort um, that we have uh, with having a hard conversation. And uh, Ma- uh, Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God, the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's two types of peacemakers. There's peacemakers that stand in the middle with two other parties, and sometimes we'll have to be that for somebody. And we don't want to go in there picking sides. We just want to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes we're the ones standing in the middle to kind of help bring harmony. Some of you have that personality type that I just want to be peacemaker, uh, but we're all called to be peacemakers, not called to stir up conflict. Um, And then other times we can be a peacemaker when we've actually been offended. Or we're the offender. And I've, I've really made a mistake here. Well, I'm going to go to that person and really apologize and really be a peacemaker so we can sit in different seats here and still be the peacemaker that God calls us to be. I'll just say this much. You'll never know. Uh, you'll never have the fruit of genuine and godly friendship uh, unless you learn to work through the messiness of dysfunction found in all of God's people. You'll never know the fruit of genuine godly friendship unless you learn to work through the messiness because what happens? We'll work in a relationship, we'll develop in a relationship right up to the point that it gets messy. We'll go right up to the point that we see some dysfunction and then we'll be like, it's been real, but I can't deal with your dysfunction. <laughs> and, I, and I think there is a, a truth of, hey, attach, like when, we're, when we know like we're in a really messy place in our life and maybe we've, we're going through some really heavy things, like the people we need to lean into are not people who are like, they, they got as much of a mess as we do. And we've all got mess. We've all got dysfunction, all right? So I'm not talking about some holier than thou situation, but I, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't, you don't, you know, go to, to somebody that, that's in, in worse shape than you because they're not going to give you probably wise advice. They're hurting in their own right in that season. Um, but if we just work right up to that place, I think about uh, my early upbringing and childhood, I talk about this publicly a lot, that um, I, I dealt with rejection issues um, from the time I was a kid. And one of the ways this came out um, was with uh, my, my girlfriends, like when I was young and like in elementary and middle and high school, I would uh, have th- these, um, you know, dating relationships, whatever that is, in like fifth grade and sixth grade and, and eighth grade. Um, but I have these relationships and I would break up with them before they would break up with me. Like that was just my MO. And I, I would make, a, there would be some kind of reason. It would be some kind of dysfunction, something that was just weird for me, whether it was just their personality or, or maybe someone made a comment about something they were wearing or, or they, their laugh would be a little bit different than any other laugh. And, and I would just be, I'd break up with them. And part of it was me guarding myself from rejection. But think about that, how we do this in our life. What if I would have done that with my wife? I would have loved her in this relationship right up to the point, because you think everything's great. You know, they're, they're the perfect person. They're the perfect person. And then you get closer, and then you're like, oh, like they're, they're, not, they're not perfect. But what, what if I, at that point, like as soon as I saw dysfunction, as soon as I saw some brokenness, as soon as I saw she's not perfect, I would have said no, right? Couldn't have, couldn't have gone forward, and I never would have had the, the kinship and, and uh, intimate relationship with my wife that I have today. And that's a romantic relationship, but I think with all of our friendships, like we love right up to the point that it gets messy, that it gets a little bit dysfunctional. Um, with that person, and, and, and we just want to run away, and we'll never have the fruit of godly friendship if we peace out at that time. So 
Um, the last thing is hard conversations are necessary for our healing and our health. They're so necessary for our healing and our health. Uh, some of you remember back to David, who was the shepherd um, in the Bible. And he started out as this lowly shepherd, the least in his family. And remember, he was the, he was the delivery boy for bread in the battle against the Philistine army. And he just happened to be there. Nobody else would step up and fight this Philistine giant, Goliath. And, and David steps up and he takes this opportunity, slays the giant. People start singing songs about him. He eventually will become their next king um, of Israel. And, and as he's uh, king, uh, there was this one time that the scriptures say he was supposed to be off at war. It was the time in which kings went off to war, but David stayed home, speaking against laziness in our life. And he stayed home, and in that day, he got up onto his rooftop and just peered over next door to watch the girl next door bathing atop her her home, and uh, having the king's power and authority, he missed, he misused that. I mean, we've seen that in our day and age now. He misused that power and said, hey, bring her over here to me, and he'll get her pregnant, and then to make sins just going up from lust, you know, to adultery, he makes it worse, and he keeps trying to cover this up, and eventually he'll send her husband to the front lines to be killed the front lines to be killed in battle, knowing that those, those hand-to-hand combat soldiers will, will, will die quickly. And so he does that, facilitating his neighbor's wife's, her, her neighbor's, his neighbor's husband's death, facilitating this murder. And then um, uh, after this is over with, um, God asks a man named Nathan, who's a prophet, he asked him to go and have a really hard conversation with David, to confront him about his sin. I mean, how, how many of you in this room would say David probably needed that? Like, he needed somebody to tell them the truth. Like, maybe there's somebody in your life right now that you've thought to yourself, somebody needs to tell them the truth. And usually, if you're thinking about that, you might be one of them. <laughs> you might be a person. That doesn't mean everybody. Um, you're going to be that for everybody, but you might be the person that needs to speak that into their life. Well, well, Nathan comes and he says, and he puts his life on the line. I mean, he's just had this other guy killed and he certainly has the power to um, have Nathan killed if he doesn't like what he has to say. And, and he comes to him and he, you know, confronts about a sin and God's consequences that are going to come in his life. And, and David has a very simple response that I think we need to hear and read today. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David has a very simple response. I've sinned against the Lord. No excuses. No pointing the fingers. Contrite sin. Contrite confession that I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. Not, not just against people. I first, my sin is against God. That, that I've violated the image of God and other people through adultery and through and through murder and facilitating murder, I sin against the Lord. You can read his longer explanation of this confession in Psalm 51, where after the fact, David will pin down his, his broken repentance um, over this situation. But here, it's just simple. I've sinned against the Lord. And, and here's what, what I know in our life, is that we will be on both sides of the hard conversation in our lifetime. 
we'll be on the offended side and we'll be on the offender side where we've hurt someone, where we've sinned against the Lord in a situation because we lost our cool or, or uh, we, we, you know, sinned in some way that offended or hurt someone or, or, or broke relationship or trust. Like we're going to be on both sides of it and we're going to need God's grace. But how are we going to respond in those situations? Are we going to respond with the same spirit that David has that I've, I've sinned against the Lord? Um, we'll find ourselves in both these. And, I, and just a few thoughts. Um, there's a million reasons why we don't want to have those hard conversations, right? But what if on the other side of that conversation, one, I've found that that conversation's never as bad as I thought it was going to be. Anybody else like, ever found that it's never as bad as I thought it was going to be? Um, because as long as I approach it in the right way, and I don't go into inflame, but as long as like, I'm in the right frame of mind, which I'm coming humbly, I'm coming prayerfully, and I'm coming with wisdom. Like I've sought counsel and wisdom, and I'm trying to see both sides of what's going on and with empathy. Then it goes far better than what I ever think it's going to go. You're going to be on both sides of it, and we've got to be able to embrace these moments, because what if on the other side of it is the same thing that was on the other side for David? We'll see David's consequences play out from here, but you know what we don't see in David's life anymore? Anymore. And his story is told um, in detail. What's not told in his story anymore is any sexual morality, any kind of fornication, any kind of adultery. He still had the power. He still had all that stuff, but he didn't act in that way anymore. That, that he, when he said, I've sinned against the Lord, he turned and went the other way. That he really uh, was transformed from this moment of honesty, this hard conversation that took place. There's a passage in 130, uh, Psalm 139 that I want to lead us, leave us with today, that I want us to be our prayer. Um, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me uh, in the way everlasting. You see, there's three layers of what's taking place here. In this simple prayer that's daily, I think, will guide us as we're navigating our relational conflicts, as we're navigating um, the things that God is doing in our heart and our, our life. It's one, it starts with our heart, right? Guard your heart for everything flows from everything. It's going to overflow from there. So God, search my heart. God, see the, see the resentment. See the bitterness. See the unforgiveness. See the offense that I've taken um, there. Know, know my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. Know how this stuff has bubbled up and it's affecting my every day. It's, infecting, it's affecting my anxiety. It's affecting uh, my wellness of, of uh, know, know my anxious thoughts. And then lastly, it gets into our actions, right? We, we begin to act on those things. So lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Um, I don't know if there's a, a relationship right now that's, um, that's broken. Um, I don't know if there's a fence that's been built up in you. I don't know if there's unforgiveness that um, you're still working through. Um, but I know this much, that, that this simple prayer, this daily prayer, is a prayer of transformation, to transform us from the inside out. Um, because without it, like, we can't, we can't, we'll just get caught in the dysfunctional cycle. 
we can't bring health to where there's dysfunction. We can't be the light in the darkness if we're not allowing God to search us from deep from within and lead us in the way everlasting. And so maybe there's one relationship, maybe you're, maybe you're not right now. Maybe like everything's good in all your relationships. You kind of got that shalom peace in all your relationships. But, but maybe it's, it's coming around the corner. Maybe there's something a long time ago that, um, that God's stirring up and you're thinking back through a hard conversation there. Uh, and I want to ask you to stand this morning. I'm going to pray us out and uh, this band's going to lead us because I know this much, whatever family looks like for you right now, God wants that family to be healthy. And, and God wants you to, to be an example, to be a light in that environment. And so I want to pray over you today just with this simple thought, God, search me, know me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And I just want to pray wisdom, supernatural wisdom over your relationships right now. God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you know us deeply. You know just the intricacies of our personality, and you know the conflicts some of us have been up against. You know some of the challenges of dysfunction that some of us come from, and like that's all we know, and you know our fighting styles, and you know our coping mechanisms. But God, this morning, we just pull back and say, search us. Search us once again. Search us deep within, God, to to know us. Test us, God. Test these anxious thoughts. God, purify and refine our hearts that it might flow out and our actions would be life everlasting in some relationships within our, our families at home, God, within our work relationships and, and our church family. God, would this body be a healthy body that we wouldn't, we wouldn't scream dysfunction, God, but we would be screaming the health and love and not perfection but love and grace moving to be more like you, God. God, give us grace over these areas, over these relationships that are causing us pain, that have, we've, we're harboring that. God, give us the grace to release and trust you and to forgive, to move on and to forgive and invite back in. Um, God, I don't know what you're doing in each person's heart, but um, I believe you're speaking to us now to lead us. Just with every head bowed, just, just to kind of know where we're at this morning. Just every head bowed. Is, is there a relationship maybe in your life that says, Pastor, I really need, I need some prayer over this relationship. Maybe it's a work. Can you just raise your hand if that's you? Maybe it's a work relationship or a family relationship, a, a, a marriage or a, a sibling or something. God, I thank you um, for just a, this point of faith right now in which we just bring these relationships before you. Uh, we're not calling them by name this morning, God, but you know them by name. You know the intricacies, every detail that's going on there, the pain that's going on, the dysfunction that's going on. And I just pray right now for, for just a supernatural outpouring of your wisdom and your grace in those situations, that there is grace for this season. There is grace for the dysfunction and the brokenness uh, that, that all of us, God, bring to the table, and you've made a way through Christ, God. I just pray over those individual situations right now. I pray for, for just uh, supernatural turnarounds in the coming weeks. In the coming week, God, I just pray that you would do more than what we can think or imagine in those, that the communication would just begin to just break through, God. Something would change in somebody's heart, whether it's just our reactions, God, or something would begin to shift in the atmosphere of those relationships and begin to move forward towards a, a healthy relationship, God. God, for those that 
we'll find ourselves on Monday or Thursday of this week, God, with a dysfunctional person that we just, we, we don't know how to handle. God, would you give us the grace? Give us the wisdom to, to walk through that, um, walk through that door and, and be a good influence and to, um, for them to impact us in a positive way, God, not just in the negative cycle that we find ourselves in. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word that, that brings wisdom to our life today. In Christ's holy name, amen. Let's.